Welcome to Your Family Dog, a podcast dedicated to helping families love living with dogs. Hi, welcome back to Your Family Dog. I'm Julie Fudge-Smith, and I'm here, of course, with Ms. Tina Spring, trainer extraordinaire. Um, <laughs> she always laughs when I say something like that, but but truly, I can't remember a time that we haven't that we've talked that I haven't learned something from Tina. So she really is an extraordinary trainer with the depth of knowledge of dogs. Um, she's probably forgotten more than I will ever learn. So anyway, with that introduction, we once again got online and went, so what do you want to talk about? And <laughs> you'd think that we would be, a, after how many years this podcast has been on the air, we'd be a little bit more organized than that. But And sometimes we are, but this apparently is not one of those times. But one of the things that we both realized was that there was this really good article in the July issue of the Whole Dog Journal. Once again, Whole Dog Journal, thank you very much for superior coverage of terrific issues. And it was talked about what do you do if you get bitten by a dog? Now, we have a couple of episodes with a lawyer by the name of Heidi Meinzer when we talk about some of the legal aspects of dog bites. But today, I think we want to talk a little bit more about some of the personal aspects of dog bites, some of the things that you need to be aware of, and some of the things that maybe you haven't considered about why you might want to take that dog bite a little bit more seriously. So with that, Tina, you want to do the opening lob of our conversation here on dog bites? Yeah. I'm I'm happy to. And thank you for the compliments. I think I'm just but a lowly dog trainer who's been doing it a long time and screwed it up a lot. So I have some sage advice to prevent people from going from whence I have gone. Um, so when we're talking about dog bites, I will first say that in, you know, um, my whole life I have spent in the company of dogs and I can count on one hand the number of dog bites I've received. None of them have required medical attention, though one of them probably should have, if I was to be fair. Um, that that bite, by the way, was given to me by an adorable chihuahua in class uh, <laughs> while I was teaching him. He had planned on biting me on the back of the heel, and I blocked with my hand, and instead he opened up my thumb for me. Um, uh, you know, I was just thinking about the the last bite I got, and that was from, um, I think it was from a chihuahua. Well, and that um, sweet chihuahua went on um, to live a long and healthy life. Uh, he actually passed away recently, and I want to say he was like 14 when he passed away. And I will always remember what the family said to me while their tiny four-pound dog was threatening to mercilessly murder me. Um where she said, I kept thinking he would grow out of that behavior. Ah, and, that's a real uh, common one that, that and, this stuff happens I, in puppyhood. And then people say, oh, it's just he'll grow out of it. And, and that I, is a real big I, flag. I responded to this is a behavior they grow into, not out of. Absolutely. So, so Absolutely. Of this sweet little chihuahua, who, again, I hold no ill will, like he was lovely. Um, we got him sorted pretty well, but he had learned that humans did not ignore biting. <laughs> Fortunately for them, I don't think any of the bites were ever reported. And so when Julie and I were talking about this episode and previewing it, she said, you report bites. And I will say that I have not actually report, reported a bite. I have recommended to clients to report bites. I have recommended to veterinary staff to report bites. I have recommended to customers to report bites by other people's dogs. I have not had to report a bite. Um, mostly because I don't actually get bitten very often. And yeah. when I do, those bites are usually really polite. They are what I would affectionately refer to as a tooth bang. So a dog who puts their mouth on me, but uses absolutely zero bite force. There's not a mark. They didn't break the skin. They didn't do any damage. They were just saying, Hey, dog trainer, pay attention to what you're doing. I'm not comfortable with that. So 
I would agree. Those are probably when you said you'd be, could you could count on one hand. I just wanted to put in the fact that that's where most adults get bitten are on the hand. So um, the fact that you could count them on one hand, it was at the hand that was bitten. Ha ha. Um, but I, same for me in, in my professional dealings, I can think of three, maybe four bites in, in the time that I have. And most of them were because one of them was a redirected bite because the dog wanted to lash out at a dog going by it, but the dog went by too quickly. So he turned around and decided my knee would be a good place, a redirected aggression. And the others were just because I was, I pushed my luck a little bit. And one of the chihuahuas had been telling me back off and I, you know, and then he just, yeah, did the same thing. Kind of this polite, mm, sorry, but you weren't so, listening. Yeah. So this little one that nailed me, I actually made the decision to get bitten in the hand, which I know sounds really weird. Um, but I knew that if this four pound dog bit me in the back of the ankle, I was probably not going to respond appropriately. And so instead I used my, I put my hand in the way to block and picked him up and held him in my hand and taught a class for about half an hour with blood dripping down my arm and him going, and me going, you're doing a beautiful job with Ruby. May I see the down? Right. While he settled out, because if I'd put him down, like I, it would have just been like a little tiny Tasmanian devil of bites. And I didn't want that either. So um, I did not escalate with him. I also did not give in. Um, we just let him have his very angry outburst. Um, and I don't think he actually ever bit anyone ever again. I think that took the thunder out of it. Like the behavior didn't work anymore. I don't remember any reports that he had ever bitten anyone else. So, um, yeah, the the poor sweet family was mortified. I felt very bad. Oh, for them. they they always are. But when you were talking about reporting, that kind of brings me to to one other thing. You said that you know you will advise others to report, and I do the same thing. In fact, I just had a client recently whose neighbor's dog left a big bruise on her arm, and I took a picture of it for her and said, "Look, you need to document this so that should another incident happen or." you know, you might want to talk to these people and say something, you know, this is what happened to me. Um, but the dog sort of disappeared. She never saw it in the neighborhood again. So who knows what happened, but, um, what with reporting, people are hesitant to report bites for a variety of, of reasons. And, and I think people are, um, whose dogs have bitten, um, somebody, are not only are they mortified, but they are afraid of what's going to happen if their dog Julie's is recorded. Her desk while we're recording for all of you that are wondering what all that noise is. That she's just rearranging all of her paperwork on the desk. <laughs> I was just flipping the article page, but anyway. So I will try to not make so much distracting noises. Totally understand why people are of two minds about it. I can totally understand that, right? Like we want to be neighborly in the case of a family member, like holy complication, Batman, right? We don't want to seem threatening. We don't, we don't want to cause a problem for someone else. We want to be neighborly. Like there's a whole bunch of reasons why we don't want to have to report. What I will tell you is when dogs typically have bitten to the point that it gets to my desk, that dog has a bite history that's gone on a long time. And I sometimes wonder to myself if one of those bites that happened earlier in the process had been reported, would the family have gotten support and help sooner? I think there's a huge stigma attached to reporting the bite. People get really mad. Um, sometimes bites are totally the human's fault. And sometimes bites are totally the dog being unreasonable. Right. The dog having, well, not unreasonable. They feel the way they feel, right? Like we all feel the way we feel, but the dog is not responding in an appropriate manner. And that might be fear issues. That might be a whole host of things going on, right? It, it can be the dog's over threshold or the dog's being poorly managed or isn't healthy or safe or medically clear, a whole host of things. I totally understand not wanting to report. I do. Uh, I will also say that 
you know, we, we talk about it in all sorts of situations where things don't go reported for many, many, many occurrences and things have to get really bad and a lot of damage gets done between A and Z. Right. And I would say, I agree with you because sometimes I get people who are calling me and their dog has aggressive behavior towards other human beings or towards other dogs. And they're telling me about something, you know, things that have happened in these behaviors way. And I'm like, how long has this been going on? And they'll say things like, well, I don't know, six, seven, nine years. And then I'm like, okay, what, what happened that you are finally approaching me now, nine years after this started? And I think there's also the fact that they don't get reported then the family whose dog is showing aggressive behaviors or has bitten somebody, they don't understand how serious that it could be and what the long-term consequences might end up being. And so you're right. They don't seek professional help until the thing that was almost inevitable happens. So in some ways, I think you're right. Reporting a dog bite may seem like an awful thing to do, but it might actually be a blessing. So I have had a number of situations where I have said to someone who's been bitten, like, yes, seek medical attention. Sometimes that means the bite's going to be reported whether you want to be or not. So it's out of the victim's hands. Uh, I have also said to some people, clean up the bite and tell the family member that you need to know that they have an appointment with a veterinary behaviorist or a qualified trainer, that does not mean your local shock collar trainer to work on the issue and that the dog's going to be managed differently. So, so as to prevent the situation from occurring again, or you will report. Um, And yeah, okay. So it's manipulative, but it's stopping. It's maybe a halfway step, in between. One of the things that I've experienced, so there's a local county that generally refers their dog bite cases to me. Municipalities are getting better and better and better about in the case of relatively low level bites, saying to the families, you need to work with a credible trainer who's skilled, who can help you work on this and come up with a management plan and work on desensitizing and counter conditioning and blah, blah, blah. And not stigmatizing those people. So in a couple of cases, we've gotten the point dog trained to the point that the dog could pass the CGC. The dog has been put in the situation in which a bite has occurred previously. The dog made other choices and was fluent in that skill set. I can then go back to that county and say, we, and I usually shoot video so that they're not just taking my word for it. Uh, and we can have any restriction or flag for that property or that family removed for that dog. Um, But dog bites are a very real problem, and I fear with um, the world kind of opening up and a whole bunch of dogs purchased during or adopted during pandemics that didn't receive a whole bunch of behavior treatment that we may have a lot of dogs overreacting to things that maybe they would not have overreacted to, you know, in other decades. You're right. So you're right. I wonder if the incidence of dog bites will go up. I know here locally, bunches of people are telling me they're taking their dogs to work with them. Some of those dogs are perhaps not very well suited to going and being in an office with other dogs and strangers and people coming in and out of a cubicle. And I, I hope I'm wrong. Like I would be delighted to be wrong, but I'm worried that there's going to be some conflict that way. And that, you know, these, many of these dogs are not prepared to be home alone. They're not prepared to be out in public. And so then what do you do? They're not right. really candidates for daycare. Like, so we, what, what are we to do? Right. There's um, a lot, there's a lot of difficulties there, but one of the things when you were talking about the, in, whether or not you fear there'd be an increase in dog bites, I, I agree. And let's look at some of the statistics and what, what we're looking at now, even before COVID. And according to this article, once bitten, um, they say, according to the United States Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, there are about 4.5 million dog bites in the U.S. per year. 
with about 18%, that's 800,000 bites, serious enough to require medical attention. Okay, so hold though. You've been bitten what? I think you said five times? Uh, three, four. Okay, I've probably been bitten in 30 years, maybe eight. None of our potentially 10 or 11 bites ever made it into that 4.5 million. And you and I both have pretty significant caseloads. Like we have pretty significant caseloads. So I will tell you, I don't think we have nearly a handle on how many bites actually occur because the vast majority of bites are incredibly polite. They don't result in damage and nothing ever happens that gets it reported anywhere. Heck, I've, I've had clients that the kids never reported that the dog bit them to the parents. The parents are completely unaware. But then I ask the child a question. They're like, oh, yeah, he bites me over that. I'm like, how often? Well, every day. Every day when I'm putting on my socks, he bites me. And I'm like, okay, is he mouthing? And the child will explain, no, it is a bite. The dog was resource guarding socks or whatever, bites the child, doesn't do any damage. It's just something that happens every day. Well, those bites never get reported. Right. So, and and I will tell you, there are other more serious bites like that don't get reported. Um, for example, I've got a perfect example of that. When our daughter Emma was eight or nine, we went up to visit a family friend in Detroit so we could go to Greenfield Village because Emma had just done a report on Thomas Edison and his Menlo lab is at Greenfield Village. So we took a weekend. We stayed with a family friend who had a little dog who, and Emma, as most people know this podcast, was pretended to be a dog for the first nine years of her life. Anyways, she loves dogs. She was petting, and Abby loved her, and it themed everything was fine. But Abby did things like she stole Brad's sock and was hiding it in a chair. And Emma did not know what Abby was doing, and she reached over to pet her. Abby whirled around and raked down Emma's finger. And it was a it was a pretty nasty scrape bite. So we cleaned it all up. I carefully bandaged it. We went to Greenfield Village, and probably, oh, I don't know, three or four times that day, I took the bandage off, I cleaned the wound, rebandaged it, kept my eye on it. We drove back to Columbus. And that night when I went to help her get ready for bed and to clean her finger, I took the bandage off and her finger was twice its normal size. And we had been very careful. So we were in the ER. And then the next day he said, you need to see your doctor. And Emma had to go see the doctor every day for a week in order to have her wound taken care of because they were afraid that the infection might cause arthritis. And in fact, they talk about this in the article. Hand bites can be extraordinarily serious and can incapacitate your hand. And the doctor went to report, because of course, medical professionals are required to to report bites. But the bite had happened in Michigan. So there was nothing he could do to report that bite because we were back in Ohio. So even though he tried to report it, he couldn't. And it was a pretty serious bite. So anyway, um, so I think that sometimes these things, even um, when people want to, to report it, they may not have the right, of, you know, the right place to report it to. Right. I mean, my, uh, my chiropractor from many years ago broke up a dog fight between her own two dogs. And it was nearly a career ending bite. She had I bet. permanent neurological damage to her hand. It was a very nasty bite. Neither of the dogs were at all human aggressive, but breaking up a dog fight, one of the dogs, you know, whirled around and grabbed hold of her hand and crunched down really hard like it would have to the other dog and crunched my dear friend's hand in instead. So that bite, I'm sure, was, was um, reported. But it it was an intra-household bite. So I don't think law enforcement was ever involved with it, right? Animal control never really got involved. It's That's like, well, my understanding is that it... Their owner. Right. If you've been bitten by your own dog, there's seldom sort of legal action taken. Um, but and, but there, the exception to that might be 
if your dog has a bite history of biting other people and then bites you and there's a medical report, there's going to ha- there's going to be sort of a paper trail on this dog and that might result in somebody taking a, a law enforcement taking action. But that's the only time I could really see if it was an owner bite that yes. somebody would take action against that. So, um, so the big things I would say is I'm seeing an increase in bites being reported in kind of a punitive manner. So ooh. lots of, I am seeing lots of, so here in the state of Georgia, it is my understanding that a scratch, a toenail scratch is treated the same as a bite from a reporting standpoint. Um, and I'm seeing it used sometimes in divorced family custody dispute where, you know, the, the new puppy scratches the child and then suddenly there's a report. Um, I actually observed a puppy scratch a little girl once who the little girl's answer was he bit me. I observed the whole thing. There was not a bite. There was a scratch. And yes, the puppy needed to be managed differently. And yes, the little girl needed to be managed differently. But if that little girl had gone home to a parent that perhaps didn't have a great relationship with their ex co-parent, um, you know, that would have been, well, she says the dog bit her. So I'm sadly seeing that a lot. So it's, for me, it's informing how we manage kids and dogs and being very careful about really, really working on this prevention side. And if an altercation occurs, really being forthright with that co-parent to say, okay, so I was right there, right? We have a dog trainer. She was doing something with the puppy. The puppy scratched her. She said immediately that the dog bit her. We know the dog did not bite her. She, you know, it's a puppy, you know, they were, she was da da da, whatever. It's a toenail scratch, but like, it is important to understand that that stuff can get really wonky, really, and manipulative really quickly. Yes, it can. And I kind of feel like in today's atmosphere, it's very difficult to find people who are, because I think the whole social media thing tends to put people on very high emotional levels without a whole lot of reason behind it. And so I think that oftentimes we just had, we get these emotional responses and we think that a, it, it, it can be, it can be just really sad that, it, that these kinds of things are used to, to manipulate or hurt somebody else. On yes. the other hand, you know, and so there's that there's that balance between yeah, a dog has scratched somebody that may not be serious, a dog has bitten somebody. Maybe we do need to report that because one, um, rabies is a is an issue. Uh, most dogs have their rabies vaccination, and rabies is seldom transmitted between a dog to a human in the United States, but it can happen. And if it's a, especially if it's a stray dog or one whose vaccination history is not known. It's incredibly important that we that, that you report this so that you know the dog if it can be caught can be put into quarantine and so that you can make sure that you don't have to have the um, those awful rabies sh- shots. So, okay, so so we started by saying if a bite happens what do you do? First assess medically the situation like let's get everybody in a safe condition. And so that does mean taking photos. This sounds kind of gross, but it it does mean taking photos of the injury from the beginning so that you can document, right? Yes. If if you clean it up and one of the big things, and and Julie was just talking about this, that a a bite, even a well cared for, a well tended bite can escalate pretty quickly. So I sometimes say to people, if there's redness, use a Sharpie or a pen and mark around the edge of the redness so that you're not just guessing, hey, did that get bigger or not? Right. We can actually track like, uh oh, yes, it's it's getting worse because we you know, that's a tough thing to eyeball at at 1130 at night when we're all tired and ready to go to bed. The last thing we want to do is run to the ER like that doesn't sound like fun for anyone. So having having a way to quantify, okay, 
is this injury getting worse? If we didn't seek medical attention is an important thing to be able to do. And photos are really a good way to do that because you can compare and contrast pretty quickly. Um, obviously, oh, sorry. Well, I was just going to say, uh, I think it's important medically so that you can then say to the physician, this is what it looked like when it happened. This is what it looked like yesterday. And now you can see what it looks like today. That's really useful information for a physician to have. The other thing, though, is unfortunately, should legal action be required because this, by the way, the average cost of a dog bite, according to this, an average cost of a dog bite insurance claim in 2020 was $50,245. So your insurance company may sure as heck want to find out whose dog bit you. And if you had these photos to show the severity of the bite and what happened, that may help to resolve insurance claims easier, as well as if there may be any legal claims. So it's important for both medical and legal reasons to do that. Well, and for example, in the situation where I was bitten by this little, sweet little chihuahua, um, the initial bite looked pretty gnarly. It ended up to not be a very serious bite, although it is to date, and I hope it will remain the most serious bite I've ever had. Had I had done what I did, right? I treated it myself. I didn't seek medical care. I didn't report it. If at some point that had become a much bigger deal and there had been some sort of litigation, my holding off reporting and seeking medical treatment can become problematic for me and kind of be a blessing for the owner of the dog because now I'm, you know, maybe there wouldn't have been so much damage or so much expense or is difficult to treat had I gone immediately to the emergency room and, and had treatment. So this, whether you're on the biter or the bitey end of the leash, um, obviously it's best to avoid bites altogether, but once they occur, we can't really unring that bell. I will say as a trainer, getting to see what the bite looks like is helpful. I can tell yes. an awful lot by which teeth the dog used, how deep the bite is, what kind of damage there is, even if you take a picture of a child's hand that doesn't even have a mark on it, right? This is where the bite was. It allows me to determine the bite level much more easily than when we're trying to remember back to a traumatic event. Absolutely. And one of the things is, is I think it's important that for people to understand how it is that we evaluate bites. One of the things that I, I'm asking people is, was it was there a puncture wound? Was it a puncture wound top and bottom? Were there four canine marks? Were there two canine marks? How deep were they? These all give me an idea about the severity and the pressure of the bite. Because one of the things, if we're talking about a dog that didn't even leave a mark but bit, that's a dog with good bite inhibition and has a pretty good potential for being to have for behavior modification. If, on the other hand, you have a dog who bites deep and hard, leaving four puncture wounds and then rakes and rips the hand open, that's a whole nother level of mayhem. Now, one of the things I wanted to say here is, is also a couple things is where the bite happens is important to, to remember. Um, children most likely are going to be bitten in the face, neck, chest, because they're right at dog level. Uh, adults more likely are bitten in the arm or hand. It says here, facial wounds require immediate emergency medical attention for both cosmetic reasons and high risk of infection. So if there's a bite to the face, it needs to be tended to immediately. And it says here then, goes on to say, for bites other than facial wounds, both doctors in the article agree that it is never a bad idea to be seen by a medical professional right away or at most within 24 hours of the bite. And this goes double for people with diabetes, compromised immune systems, and tetanus may be a consideration, although dogs don't get tetanus themselves. Apparently, they can be a carrier of it, according to this. So um, that's one thing to remember, is that you do want to 
have it seen sooner rather than later. And infections can happen so quickly. Like I said, Emma's bite was less than 12 hours and her finger, and we took very good care of it and her finger went to twice the normal size. The one thing we haven't talked about is that there can oftentimes, even above and beyond the physical difficulties, there is huge emotional fallout. So one of the things I would say is the while there is, of course, trauma associated with the person or the individual who's bitten, there's also a lot that happens for the family of the dog, right? It's a heightened emotional time, and often families aren't really sure how to navigate and what to do. And so um, Dog on Safe is a dog bite prevention and victim support organization that's international, that's really fantastic. I'm uh, the Southeastern U.S. coordinator for, for that group. And we have great resources available to help uh, dog bite victims and also to help families really work on prevention. It doesn't have to be a hugely serious bite for there to be trauma associated with it. Um, just like we don't know what makes some kids fall on their bike and never, ever get on a bicycle again individuals will have different responses to a dog bite. Um, Harkening back to my my friend Becky, who was bitten by one of her own dogs, she really struggled. Um, She has since sadly passed away. I I miss her a great deal. But she struggled the rest of her life with when dogs got tense around her. It was very unsettling for her. Um, And it wasn't something really that she ever became fully comfortable with. And probably occasionally contributed to more conflict between her dogs because she would panic understandably when the dogs seemed like they were going to have some conflict. Um, Some bites are good bites. Um, I have, I had one customer many, many years ago who had a very sweet pit bull who had bitten probably 40 times by the time he came to me at three. He had never even bruised anyone. Like if you were going to be bitten by a dog, this is the dog you wanted biting you. And to be fair, he was not a dangerous dog. Yes, he bites. We can work our way around all of that and we can do behavior mod, but he doesn't escalate and never did his entire life, right? Never ever had even any broken skin or a bruise to his credit. Though his answer, his flow chart pointed to bite. Um, That is inherently a safer dog than a dog who bites once and does catastrophic damage. So I know that that sounds really, really insane. (laughs) Right? It sounds just just a tad, just a tad insane. Weird weird logic. But the but it's kind of like the person who threatens to punch you in the nose or who punches you in the nose but never, ever really hurts you is inherently safer than the person who walks up and cold cocks you and breaks your nose, right? That while maybe not an ideal way to handle stress in a situation, like absolutely. Has this happened to you, Tina? This is the question. Okay, I didn't think so. (laughs) Not at all. But... Like, sometimes I think using a a human, you know, if I tell you I'm going to punch you in the nose and never really do it, well, that's safer, right? Right. Warped logic, but logic, my logic, just a peek inside the kimono here (laughs) at... Yeah. So what I would say is a bite is not inherently bad or wrong. I think we would all say that if you know, somebody backed us into a corner and was beating us up and terrifying us, it would be within our right to defend ourselves. I think we would all agree that that's okay. Like not to necessarily continue to pursue and be violent, but to, to fend off an attack is a reasonable response in a situation sometimes. I have absolutely seen dogs, had dogs come to me for behavior modification That it wasn't the dog. It was the person. Right? Now, I'm going to come in and we're going to talk about how to desensitize and counter condition the dog and all that. But in the process, we're going to change the person's way of dealing with things as well. Because 
both pieces, like there was a pretty big conflict, a conflict that will often sadly cost a dog his life, but is, you know, spectacularly uncomfortable for the human too. And the good news is these are two species who basically prefer to get along. So we can, I can sometimes say like, yeah, I totally get how that bite happened. And I'm not really sure that you gave the dog any other option. And I will say that that happens a good bit. Um, the, the last bite I had was hysterical. It was actually two in the same, like, I don't know, 30 seconds. I was working with a family. They have a very large dog who I personally believed at the time had pain. And his response was a tooth bang. Um, and so the way it was reported was just when people pet him, he randomly bites them. Well, Dogs don't randomly bite over being petted. This dog didn't was uncomfortable physically, and so he would bite to say "stop touching me" because he wasn't he wasn't very overt about signaling. So the situation was: I'm sitting at the table, I'm talking to the the couple about the dog. We're kind of wrapping up a lesson, and under the table, he bumped and nudged me and walked down the length of my like hip and side as if to solicit petting. And I didn't think about it and dropped my hand down and just ran my fingers down his side and he bit me. And while my brain was going, did he just bite me? I did it again and he bit me again. And the owner said, <laughs> he just bite you. And I said, yes, twice, because I'm really dumb. Right? I know the dog bites. I know he doesn't like being petted. And yet... For whatever reason, like it just didn't in the moment, like register, it was just a miscommunication. I thought he was soliciting petting. He was not. I see this a ton with chihuahuas. They get on your lap because they're cold and they want to warm up, but they don't actually want you to pet them. So they're laying in your lap and you go to pet them and they bite you. Because what they were doing was sucking heat out of your body, not asking for cuddles. So these kinds of miscommunications happen. Now, I'm going to be hard-pressed to let a dog on my lap who's going to bite me if I accidentally touch them. I, I, of course, would not counsel that that's a very good idea. That dog would have a very nice heating pad on another area of the house. Um, But these are pretty typical bites. Right. The other thing I was going to say, when you talked about the fact that, you know, pain... Um, when people come to me and they say, you know, bit out of the blue, one that's seldom the case, it's just your dog has either very subtle signals or we miss something or, you know, he's been telling you for a long time that what you're doing makes him uncomfortable and he finally got to the end of his rope. But one of the things that, that when, when people insist he was a really sweet dog and then I'm like, how old is he? And well, he's seven or eight. And suddenly we have this terrible switch in behavior one of my first questions is when was the last time he was at the vet and has he been evaluated for pain because if your dog is really uncomfortable and this is this happens sometimes they'll bring a puppy home and the dog wants nothing to do with the puppy because when the puppy jumped on him it hurt i'm like let's see if there's an organic cause to some of this undesirable behavior because if we get him on a good pain relief for his arthritis, a lot of this may abate. And then we'll talk about appropriate ways to to interact with and handle a dog who has arthritis. So I think one of the things to remember is if your your dear sweet dog who's never, you know, growled or done anything suddenly starts showing this kind of behavior, have him evaluated and see if there's um, like I had a, a Shih Tzu and he got really cranky. I, I all he did was I, I he he bumped. I was trying to it was it had to do with his mouth, and he he either bumped his head against my leg and then he kind of snarled at me and I was like, that's not like him. Well, he had an abscess that I didn't know about, so we got that taken care of and and that helped a lot. So make sure your dog is his health concerns are taken care of. Well, and sometimes you can't see it. Right. One of the first really serious dog bite cases I had resolved without them ever seeing me 
was a seven or nine year old black lab who had always been fantastic with the kids. And last Saturday, you know, like when she calls me last Saturday, he randomly started biting and he was biting really, really hard. And he would, he did not think any of it was funny. Like nothing they did was he finding humorous. It was like, it was a really different dog. And so I of course sent them to the vet to say, Hey, we need to evaluate. And if he's due for a dental, let's, let's plan on doing that too. The vet checked him over, cleared him. Dog has no pain. When they knocked him out to do his dental, he had a stick wedged between his back molars that was not visible until they did his mouth open for the dental. And there was significant damage. He had abscesses that were going up toward his sinuses. Like this dog was in excruciating pain. It all resolved once they got the dental issue solved. But even a vet looking for pain was unable to see it until they got lab work back and they could knock the dog out and really look in his mouth. And I specifically was saying, we need to look for a broken tooth, right? Maybe there's a broken tooth. Maybe there's an abscess, something, because just like, you know, we pretty rarely randomly on a Saturday decide to start picking physical fights and being violent with our family members for no good reason. You're right. He's just, most people don't have that, that sudden sort of like a, a switch between Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. You know, not, it, it's just most dogs, if, if they are an amiable individual, they're not going to go from Lassie to Cujo overnight. Right. Unless something's really, really wrong. And so, you know, I mean, in, in that case, there, there wasn't any, um, there wasn't anything for me to do. He, he didn't have a behavior problem. He had a medical problem. I had a, I had one of my other favorite bite. It was, it ended up not being a, well, I guess it kind of sort of was a bite. I had a woman call me on a Saturday. This is one of my favorite stories. I had a woman call me on a Saturday. This was a thousand years ago. And she is telling me the story, which is, by the way, what everyone does to dog trainers, right? They bury us in this story of what's going on. And so long story short, this woman had talked to, she called her vet because her dog started attacking her toddler's feet. She had a border collie, dog started attacking the toddler's feet. I think the little boy was like four. So she calls her vet to get and this was a very, very well-trained dog. Like the dog does agility and he has titles and like, this is a well-trained family dog. I think he was again, like seven, eight, nine, something like that. So she calls the first trainer. The first trainer tells her that her dog has a terrible dominance problem. He needs to come in for a board and train. She's not allowed to visit him in a shock collar. will set everything to correct. Yeah. She said, no, thanks. So she calls the second trainer and the second trainer is like, oh, your dog has a brain tumor. You have to euthanize him. She's like, yeah, let's not and say we did. Like, that sounds insane to me. Now, now again, both of those trainers totally over the phone. She calls the third person and the third person listens to the whole story and says, well, I, I don't I don't know, but I think you should call Tina. I think she could help you. So I'm now on a Saturday, the fourth person she's called and everyone else has made her mad. So she's mad as a wet hen and she's telling me the whole story and I sit quietly something I'm not prone to do as she tells her whole story and I said okay may, may I ask a question and she said yes and I said did your son get new shoes and she explodes on the phone like ranting raving cursing it was not at all pretty and somewhere mid-rant she said, I, like, I don't understand how shoes, she's stuck on the shoes word. And I said, they blink, don't they? <laughs> and it had turned out that her dad, grandpa, had gotten the little boy those rolly shoes. Do you remember when those were all the rage? Like all the kids were trying to kill themselves in the Walmart on their, yes, their rollerblade yes. shoes. My children yeah. were never so, so fortunate as to get those because I'm too cheap. But Okay, so... Grandpa, loving his grandson, got him a pair of those. And in addition to floating, they blinked. <gasps> and so this woman comes to a full stop. And now there's a new rant happening. Like the first person's going to shock collar the snot out of my poor sweet dog. The other person is like, your dog must die. 
She's like, and all you're telling me is, hey, you know how to counter condition this, right? And I was like, yes. And she's like, fine. And I'm like, I'll call you next Saturday and see how it goes. And so th- this was a good trainer. Like she had taught her dog how to deal with an A-frame and a tunnel and a teeter and weaves. She knew how to train her dog. She just needed to figure out what the cause of the situation was so that we could figure out what it was and fix it for the dog. And so I called her a week later and she was like, everything's awesome. Thank you so much. I didn't make a penny, but she solved her problem, right? The the dog did not have some huge behavior problem. The dog was having a difficult time dealing with a floating, blinking toddler feet. <laughs> you know, I might have a difficult time with floating, blinking toddler feet myself. Right. And I said, well, I did say to her once she finally stopped cursing and freaking out. Um, but I, I did say to her, the good news is you get to put those shoes on restriction for a little while. So he stops trying to kill you in the hallway. Right. So because we want to work on it, we don't want the child to continue having the dog bite at his feet all the time, unless we're, we're working on like, Hey, let's leave the blinky floaty shoes alone. Um, and they sorted it out. Right. So Sometimes I think our dogs are reactive and will bite over something that's just novel. I mean, it can be prey drive. Like, I don't know. Christopher has these hysterical slippers that look like bear claws. Brad had those same slippers. They they died many, many years ago. But yeah. Really great long toenails. Yes, absolutely. Hysterical. I love it when he wears it with his um, black and red flannel. So... I'm pretty sure when he breaks those bad boys out at Christmas time this year with the crazy terrier in our household, it'll be fascinating to see how that ends. Because I think those are going to look like stuffed animal toys. And it turns out daddy will squeak if you bite his feet. So <laughs> hasn't thought about that yet. And he's probably not going to listen to the podcast. And Stephanie right now is probably like doubled over laughing hysterically at me. But I'm sure Christopher hasn't thought about it. That those funny, cute, hysterical, like you wear them once a year because they're funny slippers, might go badly with a highly prey-driven terrier. But we'll see, right? It's sometimes we can literally deconstruct what the situation was and go, oh, so we found a trigger we didn't know about. Right, right. I was going to say, we had this wonderful... We, we, we called him our Confederate trenching setter because we found him in a trench in uh, in, um, in the Confederate trench on the Chancellorsville battlefield when we lived in Virginia. And we named him Rebel. And Rebel had a lot of interesting features. But one thing he really was, was a, he was a really sweet, sweet dog. And um, he did not resource guard anything that we knew of, Right. He and I don't think I ever. He had this thing we used to call his pigeon growl. He'd go when he was really excited. We'd be out. Be, be oh, and now Clementine's going to talk. Um, we'd be out for a walk, and he'd be peeing and feeling great. So it was just hysterical. Well, one day we get home from the barn, and I put the girls' tack boxes on the ground, right? And Rebel leans in. Yes, thank you, Clementine. Um, Rebel leans into the tack box and I realize he's got a horse treat. A whinny is what it was called. And I said, oh, Rebel, why don't you drop the whinny? And I reached to take the tack box, right? And he growled at me. First time ever. That's the only thing he ever resource guard was these horse treats. So I let him finish that horse treat and then he was fine. Never. And then I picked up the, the tack box. And so from that point on, we took all the win- we never put either that tack boxes on the ground or we took all the winnies out before we put the tack box down. So it was it was really interesting. I was so surprised to hear him growl. He had never done that, you know, in any kind of serious way. And it was and he never did it again unless he was lucky enough to get himself a winnie. And so I kind of feel like that probably could if I hadn't been aware enough, it could have been a bite. It could have been a bite, but it was like. Oh, I okay, fine. I don't really care if you finish that one, but you can't have the whole bag, you know? Right. So I think you're right. I think sometimes there are triggers we don't know what's going on, 
And you kind of have to take a step back and say, okay, this is not what my dog normally does. Why would we do this? Right. So, so to bring us back around to this one spitting article, that's we we've not done a masterful job covering it, but we did a decent job. Like I'm kind of proud of us. Um, one of the things I would say is that bites are going to happen, right? Like we live our life in the company of dogs and like the terrier going after floaty blinky shoes or the terrier going after, or sorry, that was a border collie or the terrier one day, you know, potentially biting Chris in the foot because he's wearing shoes that look like he put his foot in a stuffed animal or a rat. Mr. Thinks everything's a rat. Everything. Um, then like those are bites that are, com- they're completely understandable and yes. they're not, they're, it's not the dog being bad or being mean or being aggressive. I think sometimes reporting a bite can be abs. I have seen it be spectacularly beneficial to a family because instead of one more excuse, one more like, well, this is what happened or that, whatever, mitigating it, they get the help for the dog that they need. Um, the vast majority of bites, your dog is not going to lose his life. The vast majority of bites are not serious. I think your your child is like more likely to, I don't know, die from a balloon. Yes, in fact. Dog, right? Yes. So, so I don't want to, I don't like to talk about bites primarily because people tend to extrapolate out to these horrific situations that are so infinitesimally rare as to be almost silly to talk about, right? But I do think it's important to try to, maybe destigmatize that not all bites are the same. An inhibited bite is really different. A bite that happens, um, a more serious bite is, of course, a more serious situation. And ideally, I think most of the time when a serious bite comes across my desk, there were preceding lower level bites that th- that communication went unheeded. And I do wonder if one of those bites had been reported, if we could have avoided the really ugly bite, it doesn't give us as many choices. I agree. I agree. And that's why reporting can be, it seems as though it could be something that's, that you're hesitant to do because you don't want to create problems. But the thing is, is that maybe you're going to actually solve a problem if you report a bite that was not because somebody was wearing bearers paws on their feet. Or, yeah, so it's a delicate balance, and I get that. But understand that dogs grow into these behaviors, and if the first bite at a level, say, you know, a level one bite or a level two bite didn't get my point across, um, I may have to escalate to a level three or a level four bite in order for people to take me seriously, and you don't want that to happen. So get the help you need at the first bite, not the fifth. So hopefully when Julie posts this, she'll, um, cause you got the average layperson isn't going to stay understand. Right. When we're talking about bite levels, um, both Ian Dunbar and Dr. Sophia Yin. Right. I miss her. I, I do too. Her. Um, talk about somebody who shoved the world in a positive direction. Um, both have uh, really good, uh, um, bite scales. So if, if you are unlucky enough, if, if you end up in a situation where we're discussing bite levels with you, we're assessing the severity of the bite. And that's when we're talking about a bite level. Is it a level three? Is it a level four? Hopefully we'll link that in the show notes I will. so that people can I will. look at it. It's, it is one of the weird things that we end up having to talk about with families to say, okay, well, what level of bite was it? So... One of the, I think there's a couple more things that I think Tina and I want to mention in relationship to the consequences of dog bites. And one of those is you need to understand that your household insurance or your renter's insurance may or may not cover dog bites. And if your dog bites somebody, you could have your homeowner's insurance canceled on you. There are also some companies that, um, and this is I think really infuriating to both Tina and me, 
have breed-specific policies where you, if you have a certain breed of dog, they won't cover your house, which is just insane because it's the individual dog, not the breed. Um, but one of the things that you really need to check out is what your homeowner's policy does cover and whether or not you may need a canine liability policy. Because if your dog, which is another reason why, if your dog does a bite, even if it's not a serious one, you might want to seek professional attention to help your dog handle these situations in which he feels pressured to bite, help him get his CGC, his canine good citizen, and be proactive so that one, the second or third bite doesn't, if you can't have a third bite if you don't have a second one. So get the problem taken care of, address it, see if it is a problem and what it needs to be done if it needs to be addressed so that you can keep your homeowner's insurance so you can keep your dog and keep your home keep your home because um i don't know many of us who could afford a 50,000 over 50,000 dollar payment on a dog bite if our home if our insurance is not going to cover it doesn't mean we're not liable for it so, so i will say, i got called in on a case in atlanta where a there were two neighbors who were having a dispute, um, two wealthy neighbors who were having a dispute. And one neighbor made a false claim that his grandchild was bitten by the neighbor he didn't like's dog. This was a situation where having video surveillance on the property and having fencing inside the property line was huge. So it turns out when we pulled the security footage that the dog was not in the yard at on the day that this child was supposedly bitten. We were actually able to prove that um, and save this family. But all of that litigation happened after the homeowners paid the claim without any discussion with the homeowner. So the homeowner's insurance made the decision to pay off the claim. And he was actually countersuing to get that money back and to get his homeowner's insurance reinstated. So there are times I think that video surveillance can be a big help talking to your insurance agent when you own a dog, right? The same way that if you had a really expensive piece of jewelry, you would talk to your insurance agent about that, right? If you have a dangerous tree on your property. You're going to talk to your insurance guy about that, right? So, so one, there's the ethical, moral responsibility, but also just the pragmatic responsibility of what can we do to mitigate risk? For example, in some places, if you put up a beware of dog sign, that's almost asking to be sued because it's viewed by that municipality, that set of courts as saying, hey, my dog is dangerous. But if you have a dog on premises sign, that's just seen as notice, hey, there's a dog that lives on this property. And that's not any liability. So talking to your family's attorney, talking to your homeowner's insurance or your renter's insurance and finding out kind of what the rules are and what you can do to help protect yourself from that accidental bite. Julie and I will both tell you, have the dog secured before you open the front door. Like, don't let a conflict happen at the front door. I'm going to avoid avoidable bites. Right. And the more you show that you are being responsible and trying to avoid these things, then one, it's, it's, the, it's the right thing to do. But two, you're also protecting yourself and your dogs. So we're not saying to be totally freaked out about the idea of like, oh my gosh, you know, we're going to get rid of our dog because a dog bite could happen. That's silly, right? The vast majority of situations are, are safe and fine and not a problem. However, it is a multifaceted discussion and it's not one to be cavalier about. The vast majority of bites in my experience are avoidable. And if we can avoid them, we should. Likewise, we should know what to do if a bite does occur so that we handle it hopefully as best we can and 
get the dog and the family and the victim all some good support and help so that things don't escalate any further. Right. Because dog bites have multiple levels. There's the physical level, there's the emotional level, and there's the fiscal liability level. So be prepared. All right. Well, thank you all for joining us once again on Your Family Dog. We uh, would appreciate it if you would give us a five-star review where you uh, can on uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or wherever you get your podcasts and, and like us on Facebook and tell others about us. If you like what we have to say, make sure others find us too. That's how we, uh, we can continue to bring you the quality content you've come to know and love. So, And if you have things you'd like us to discuss or tease apart, please do share that with us at... Feedback at yourfamilydogpodcast.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time on Your Family Dog. Thanks for listening to Your Family Dog. Got questions? Interesting ideas? Visit www.yourfamilydogpodcast.com to share your thoughts.